0: So today, uh, we bring to our close our sermon series that we've been going through for the past like, couple of months, which is the answer that changes our life. And depending on how we answer this question is our experience of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. It began again with a very profound and simple question that Jesus asked Peter, not at the beginning of his ministry, but near the end where he had some time to track with Jesus, to experience everything that Jesus did, and then hearing everyone else, their opinions, their thoughts of who they thought Jesus was and how they responded to him based on that answer, he turned to Peter and he asked, But you, Peter, now that you've been traveling with me, living with me for the past uh, one and a half, two years, who now do you say I am, Peter? And Peter responds by saying the right answer. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But what we notice about the answer that he gave is right after he gave it, Jesus then shares with Peter what's about to happen, what it means to follow Jesus and says, for me to be the Son of God, for me to be Messiah, this is what's about to happen. I will give myself, he says, into the hands of men and the men that i've created the people that i've created here on earth they will take me thinking that they have power over me they will torture me and they will kill me but this i will let happen because this must happen so that i may give my life for you when peter heard that he hated that answer because they were just going, they had had momentum, they had popularity, they had power, they had all of these people that were gathering. He saw his future, and he says, I like the way that we're going now, why do things have to change? So he took Jesus aside, and he says, no, Lord, I will not let you live like this. I will not let you change my life in that way. And at that moment, even though peter just a moment before said to jesus you are the christ the son of the living god or the declaration you are god the attitude that he presented to jesus at that point showed that that lordship that that proclamation that you are lord when it went against his preferences when it went against his values when it went against his desires he cast that aside and he said I would prefer it my way. So we see a dissonance happening of what we proclaim to what we actually live on or how we act in our life. So this sermon series as as we end today I want us to come full circle and to explore that a little bit more together as we investigate this passage that we have today from Matthew chapter 21. See, as we wrap things up, I want to focus on a very simple step because it can, it can feel overwhelming to think, oh, my goodness, if Jesus is Lord, then that means every part of my life needs to change. And I'm not sure if I can give everything. I'm not sure if in one instant that suddenly I will change everything over to Jesus being Lord over all my decisions. But the thing that we learn in today's passage is we can start with a very simple step that any one of us can do, and it starts there. And with that one simple step, we just step in into that one decision, and we do that. And then once again, when God's Spirit leads us, we step into the next simple decision, and it just starts there. One of the things that we are blessed with is Jesus understands where we are at. He understands what we can carry. He understands how much change we can take on at a certain time. And he leads us according to our measure. See, this is actually how Jesus intends, he says, to build this church, to build this community of people that say that they believe in God, and because we believe in God, we believe that after death, there is a place called heaven, and for that reality, that there really is a life after death, after a physical death, there really is something called eternity in Christ eternity in the source of life who is God. For us to make that more tangible to our experience and not just a hope for or a wished upon expectation, he says we begin to live like it here on earth. And as we do and we become more and more like his people, we become more and more like people who understand what it means to follow God's spirit and to experience that power in our life, we begin to believe more and more that must be true. He wants to move us from a mythical view of Christianity, a mythical view of the afterlife, to this is really real, for us to begin to experience it here and now. See, for us, I hope that we are able to declare together, because you are God, because You are who you say you are. If you lead me in a certain way, I will follow. I will obey. So let's look at the verse together. It comes from Matthew chapter 21, verse 28 to 32. Matthew chapter 21, verse 28 to 32. I'll read it for us. You can take a seat. There's like a whole empty row right here up front. No? (laughs) (laughs) all right back there all right all right so matthew chapter 21 verse 28 to 39 i'll be reading from the niv it reads this what do you think there was a man who had two sons he went to the first and said son go and work today in the vineyard i will not he answered but later he changed his mind and went then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of, the two did the father, which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants, they beat one, killed another, and stoned the third. Then he said to the other servants, to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them, they will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir, come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Let's pray. Father, as we give you this word this morning, it's heavy. And there's a lot here, Father. But rather than, Father, having a spirit of guilt, rather than having a spirit of fear, I pray, Father, instead we will take this as a spirit of teaching, as a spirit of correction as a spirit of discipline that's motivated out of your love for us, Lord. You want us to experience a life that is fruitful. You want us to experience a life that you have blessed and for us to experience the fullness of that blessing. So I pray, Father, as we trust in you this morning and we allow our hearts and our minds to get uncomfortable, I pray, Father, in that discomfort, we will discover how we need to respond. And rather, Father, Lord, than avoiding, help us, Father, Lord, by faith, by your strength, by the power of your spirit. May we make that simple choice to follow after you. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So in this parable, Jesus points out two types of followers of faith. Two types of followers. Those who say yes, but never act on it. He says part of the church or part of the followers of Jesus Christ is made up of a large majority of people that always say yes. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Do you believe that he's the number one priority of your life? Yes. Do you believe your decisions and your major decisions should be based on how Jesus is leading you? Yes. It's those who say yes, but never act on it. They agree, but never follow through. But then there's this other minority, and this minority are those who say no and are reluctant, yet end up doing it anyways. Those who say no, reluctant, but end up doing it anyways. Now, the point of this parable is not to describe proper followers of Jesus Christ should be reluctant, but just do it anyways. That's not the point. The point is, despite our reluctance, Our respect for Jesus as Lord, our respect to say that, yes, you are the Messiah, you actually are God, because we respect that so much, we end up doing it. You see, those who say yes and never do it, those who say yes in their hearts and in their minds, but never get around to actually following through, the problem lies with, do we respect the Lordship of Jesus Christ enough to overcome or to usurp our own interests our own desires our own self-importance at that time to actually do what jesus says for us to do see the one who was reluctant even though he's reluctant and he does it think of it like you know someone on their couch and someone says hey I want you to go move this brick from here to over there. Like, oh, my goodness. You know, this is my favorite part of the show that I'm watching. And he says, no, I don't want to do it. But then he ends up doing it. Takes one brick, reluctant goes, and puts it, uh, puts it down. And then another person who's supposed to do the same thing, and says, yes, I know it's important that we need to move these bricks from here to over there, and says, yes, I'll do it, but never gets around to do it. Slowly over time, we begin to see a difference in what is built in that reluctant person because they even though they're reluctant they still go ahead and do it over time we begin to see a difference between this load of bricks that are here to being reorganized here that begins to build something significant in their life we don't see it at that moment we don't see the biggest big significance by moving just one brick at a time But every time, despite our reluctance, we begin to do that and we go back to our own importance or we go back to our own ways, over time you begin to see a difference. That those who say yes, when they look back, there was nothing built in their life. There's nothing they can look to and just say, wow, this is what God has been doing. But those who have been reluctantly doing so, even though they may not know the significance of one brick at a time, they look back and they see, oh my goodness, this is what Christ has been building in my life. You see, the first point that I want to make from this passage is this, let respect, our respect of Jesus Christ as Lord, let respect triumph over our lack of urgency As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to allow our respect of him to triumph over our lack of urgency. See, in this parable, both sons have something in common. They both have other interests that they feel are more important than what God or the master told them to do. So they're doing something else, and they're saying, I know that you're telling me to do this, but I don't want to do it because I'm interested in something else that I feel is more important than going into the vineyard. The other son, he knows the importance and he agrees with the importance of it, but still, despite his his agreement, the value in his heart still says that this is more important and then he forgets about what he's supposed to do. See, in the very next chapter in Matthew 22... Uh, Verses 2 to 5, it shows this lack of urgency from God's people during this wedding banquet. This wedding banquet is prepared in the very next chapter for God's son or the master's son. And he says all these guests are invited. And as they're invited, the food is being prepared, everything else is being prepared, and it's ready now. It's now is the time for people to come to celebrate this wedding banquet together but no one shows up. Everyone is doing their own thing. They're saying, I'm a little bit too busy or I'm preoccupied with other things. I know that's important. I know I was invited, but I'm doing other things right now. So then a second invitation is given. And the second invitation is given to the point where they're saying, the master says, the food has already been prepared. The the meat has been, the animal has been slaughtered. The meat has been prepared. It's hot now. You must come, eat, and celebrate now. Now's the time. But look at what happens in verse 5. In verse 5, this is the response of the invited guests, or this is the response of what we call the second son. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. You see, this wedding banquet, it represents the celebration that we're all supposed to see together of what it means to be kingdom people. When God invites us into a relationship with him and he leads us and he guides us into his life, we're we're supposed to see the transformation that he brings into our life. We're supposed to see the goodness and the trustworthiness that his way is actually better than our way. As much as we dream up what we think is best for us, God's the one that created us. And he said, I created you for this, and that's going to give you the most fulfilling life. This is what God is leading us to. And if we're doing it, we're supposed to experience this life to the full that John describes in 10.10. But here's the problem. The problem is because we get so much more interested in our own field work, in our own businesses, in our own social programs, or whatever else that we're doing, we don't really show up to what God is inviting us to. And when God invites us to these kind of things, and as we gather as a church together, he says, I'm gathering because this wedding banquet has prepared. And you guys know the the symbolism of a wedding banquet. It's supposed to be where God's son... Unites with his bride and he calls the bride his church or he calls the bride those who have gathered Because they have seen the life change that jesus brought into their life Now we're called to celebrate together with other people who look at our life change and say I want to celebrate that too with you He says the food is ready and it's hot and it's ready for the taking and there's people around you who are ready to feast on this blessing because they need to hear it just as much as you have already heard it but the problem is whenever god calls us by his spirit and he invites us to move one brick over that moment is crucial he's saying it's only this moment he says you got to move it now because i've worked everything else in this person's life So that as you move the brick from here to there, for that person, it means everything at that moment. Yet for us, if we're not building our life that way, we don't put ourselves in that kind of situation that leads other people to experience what God wants them to experience through our influence. This is why it becomes so crucial in our minds. We think, it's nothing. I just skipped my devotion just this one day. But perhaps that one devotion that you're supposed to read in that one day, that one brick that you're supposed to move from here over to there, perhaps that was supposed to trigger a thought in your mind and your heart. And because that triggered a thought in your heart and your mind, you didn't have this, like, great, like, sky, heaven-opening experience where God comes down. It just triggers a thought. That's it. And you go about the rest of your day, and as you do at work, because that thought has been planted in your heart and your mind, what happens is you respond differently to a coworker or to your boss. And because of that difference in response, That person becomes a little bit more interested in finding out why you responded that way. Because no one else at work, no one else among their peer group has given that kind of interest or given that kind of care to that person. For us, we don't think it's a big thing. It's just a really small thing. We just ask them how they're doing, and then after that, we saw that there's something wrong. Hey, it looks like there's something going on. And that was all triggered because of the devotional that we've had in that morning. You see, this is what God is talking about. saying, the banquet has been prepared, and I want you to come now. But for us, we say, I'm too busy or I'm too tired right now. i got to tend to my field. i got to tend to my business. There's a hundred other things that I need to do. So just because I don't show up today or just because I don't do my devotion today, God, it's not such a big deal. But God says, yes, it is, because this brick is crucial not only for me showing you how I'm using your life, but it's crucial because you have a certain influence over certain people that I've coordinated all the circumstances that all pile up to this one moment here. The food is ready. The situation has been prepared, and all it takes is your natural personality to respond as it's triggered by God's Spirit and His Word. See, this is why it's so important. In our lack of urgency, when God's Spirit puts something that simple in our hearts, we're called to allow um, respect, our respect just because you say so, Lord. Because you are Lord, even though I'm tired, even though I'm busy with other things, because you are Lord, I will do it. Do you guys remember when that was stated before in the Gospels? Remember when Peter was fishing all night and he's a pro fisherman and Jesus takes them out and they're trying to do their own. um, Jesus says, You know what? Let's go out together. And um, I'll show you how to catch the fish. And they're like, we're out all night. The fish has already gone in. It's too hot right now. There's no way you're going to catch fish. And he goes, just come out. And so they go, all right. So they go out together. And he goes, now take your nets and cast it on now the other side of your boat. Everyone knows that's not going to make a difference. What's the difference between left side, right side? It's not going to make any difference. And Peter says this. Peter has all this doubt in the world saying, Nothing's gonna happen, nothing's gonna change. I know these waters better than you. You're just a carpenter's son, I come from generations of fishermen. But then he says this, but because you say so, I'll do it. See, that's the same response that we need to have as this reluctant followers of Jesus Christ is that we have Every thought in our mind, out of our lack of urgency, I'm tired, Lord. I've been working all night. It's not time for me to pray, or it's not time for me to open up this word. And God says, I have something for you in it right now. And everything's all measured to this one moment to trigger something. It may not be this life-changing, incredible experience, but it triggers something in your spirit and your mind that changes your course. Even if it's just by one degree, it changes your course. It changes how you respond to certain things and puts you in a different place. And when we do that, we experience God's transformation. But the problem that we all have is that we keep holding on to our busyness, our field, our own self-interest, Look at verse 32, for John came to show you the way of righteousness, but you did not believe him. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. You see, the son who initially says no, what we see happening in his heart is that there's a repentance. Repentance means a change of direction. Right? He repents. He lets go of his reluctance. He lets go of his own self-interest. He lets go of what he thinks is more, more valuable with his time at that moment. He goes, you know what, just because you... fine, that's repentance. That even though it's reluctant, it's still repentance. It's like, fine, I'll do it. And he does it, even though it's not with the greatest spirit, but he does it. That's repentance. And he's saying, as you're watching all the tax collectors and all the prostitutes that you think are worse off than you in character and in personality, they're entering the kingdom ahead of you. But you, when, even when you look at that, Jesus says, but you do not repent. You're not changing your way. You keep going in your same direction. It's like that monkey trap. You guys all heard that. Illustration, right? You know that monkey trap that um, the villagers in Paraguay, they used to catch monkeys who come into their fields and grab all their fruit and, and create chaos. So they try to trap the monkeys and then take them out to the jungle farther, farther away so they won't invade their crops. You guys know that, right? So here's a picture of the monkey. So what they would do is that they would take a coconut and then just drill a little hole that's enough that a monkey could squeeze his hand in into Right? And they would put an awesome treat, but a big round treat, inside that coconut. And as he squeezed his hand in it, the monkey would grab it. And now they would tie that coconut up so that it would be attached to a tree so the coconut can't go anywhere. So the monkey would go, grab it, but then here's the problem. He can't get his hand out. Right? And the only way that the monkey can get his hand out, even when he sees the villagers coming to get him, all he has to do is let go. Let go, of his, let go of that tree, and his hot hand will slide out. But he refuses. He keeps it in, and this is how villagers catch every monkey, because they just can't let it go, even when they see that danger approaching. You see, in that kind of same way, repentance is that same way, that we think that something is so much more urgent, so much more important in our lives, As God's spirit calls us, as God's spirit challenges us, and he says, I want you to do this right now. The time has been prepared right now. It's not that big. Just do it now. And we think, because it's not big, I can do it later. Because it's not such a big deal, maybe a month later or a year later or when my life gets back on track or whatever. Because we're so bogged down with our own fears, our own kind of timelines, our own way of doing things that we say, I just need to get these things sorted out first. And we believe that these things are much more urgent than following God. But God wants us to experience how he transforms us and gets us to where we need to be even if it's not along our own pathway. See, once we've experienced our first taste of that, that he gets us to where we need to be, that doesn't follow the way that we thought was the only way to get there, that's what begins to make us better followers of Jesus, we become less reluctant because we have our past to look to and go, wow, in the past, he did this. So even though it may not make sense, I can do it now. See, repentance is letting go of our urgent, whatever we consider more important, because we allow our respect of Jesus. Because you say so, I'll do it. We allow that to triumph. Over our urgency. The second and last point that I want to make. Is let respect triumph over our control. Look at what happens in the next parable. In verse 37. Remember God gave them. It begins by saying. That God planted a vineyard. Then he. Put a wall around it. And he dug a wine press right into it. And then he put a watchtower there. And then he hired some servants, he says, to take care of this land and this vineyard until he returns. And look at verse 37 of that passage. It says this. When he's trying to collect the fruit or what rightfully belongs to him, look at the response that people give. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. You know, this seems really violent to our ears and sometimes so much so that we would never think that we can possibly be put in the same box as these tenants. We would never do that, like kill off people, stone other people, or, or you know, um, beat people to a pulp because we want to keep our own. We feel like, wow, when we hear that, that's way too extreme. I would never do that. But remember, the thing that's going on here is that when God says, I planted a vineyard, he's saying, I planted something fruitful. Think of a vineyard as your life. He says, there's this life that I've created for you, and I planted it, he says. Not only did he plant it, he says, then I built a wall around it. In other words, he put protective devices around your life. And not only did he do that, he says, "I put a wine press in your life as well. A Wine press is what collects a fruit, and you keep pushing out the, uh, uh, stepping on the grapes so that the wine or that blessing comes out. In other words, he says, "I put in into your life mechanisms so that it can be blessed. You can reap blessings out of your life." He says, "It's been built into your life." And not only that, he says, I even built a watchtower to watch over your life as well. And then he says, here are these servants that I'm giving to watch over this land. This is our life. It's a metaphor of our life. He says, I created your life, I created it to be fruitful, I built into it processes so that it can be blessed. Not only that, I created a wall around it so it can be protected. Not only that, I put a watchtower there so you could see enemies that are coming from afar and you can be defended. In other words, God's saying, I protect your life even when you don't know it. I put watchtowers and I send my holy ones out to guard you and to watch over you even when you are unaware. It's your life. Yet this life that we've been given and all the resources that come with it, he says, it's on loan to us. It doesn't belong to us. It's being given to us by God. But what happens over time, just like these tenants, is we begin to believe That every part of our life is mine. The tenants begin to believe hey, wait a minute. I did all this work and I'm the one that's planting these uh, these seeds. I'm the one that's harvesting the grapes. I'm the one that's stomping on the grapes to make wine. I'm the one that's bottling it up and fermenting it. I'm the one that's doing all this kind of stuff. What do you mean it doesn't belong to me? You know, people begin to think, hey, I earned this, or I work for this, I sacrificed for this, I invested in this, this belongs to me, but it doesn't. It belongs to God. We've been given this life. We've been given the resources that we have by his sovereignty, by his will. And the reason why we are still successful, the reason why our life is still protected and we're able to, pretty much get what we want in life is because God has protected it. But the problem happens when he comes and he says, now show me the fruit that you're supposed to produce. What did you do with your life in the way that I'm calling you to do it? The fruit that I expect you to bear. And people don't like that. These tenants, I heard it, what do you mean? I'm doing all this work, this is my land, forget you. And they kill them off. Remember in Matthew chapter 5, here as, as, as violent as it sounds, like he's killing them off. Remember what Jesus talked about murder? When he said, you heard it said, do not commit murder or else they'll bring judgment on you. But then he says this, but I tell you now, It's not just about murder. He says anyone who looks upon his brother or sister with anger is guilty of that same sin. He equates even anger to murder, dismissing, cutting off, saying, I don't want to listen to that. In that same way, when we look back at the tenants or we look at our own life and we feel this kind of call in our life, we want to control the outcome. We want to control what we do with my kids, what I do with my job, what I do with my spare time, what I do with my money. I want to control all of these things, yet it was all given to us on loan by God for his purposes. And eventually over time, we become like these people, and when God says, what have you done with what I've given you, we get angry. Like, what do you mean? I'm the one that's doing all of this. How dare you expect me to give anything back to you? This is because we move from this thinking of knowing that life is not our own. That life was given to us by God to be lived for his purposes. Yet somehow we moved it towards being its mine. Think of it this way, none of you would argue with me if you're an investment banker and you were given a certain size portfolio and you're doing all the work investing in the money and it's creating like 20, 30, 40 fold of what you put in, none of you would ever say that all that money belongs to me. Right? You would understand that's given to you on loan or it's, you're given, uh, it's given to you as a steward of that portfolio so that you can make money but it still belongs to the company. It doesn't belong to you. That same way, that life that God has given to us, he says, it belongs to me. and every part of how you live it, he expects his fruit. See, so look at verse 41b. He says, what, what will God do? He says, he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. See, Jesus is the heir. He's the rightful master, owner of our life and all the fruit that we bring. And the problem that we have with God sometimes is that we mistake ourselves to be the heir of it, ourselves to be the rightful owners. But it belongs to him. And so whenever Jesus demands, whenever God says, show me the fruit that belongs to me, we can get angry because we feel like he's taking something that belongs to me. Sometimes, when we are producing fruit, one of the dangers that we need to avoid is this temptation that we have to compare with other people. And so when God leads us and he says, I'm inviting you to follow me and to do this, try not to look at anyone else and say, but they're not doing it, or this person isn't doing it, or how come that leader's not doing it? Because that's sometimes the barrier that keeps us from following, because we feel like I don't wanna be the only one that does it, what about this person? And at the end of the gospel of John, in John chapter 21, we saw the same thing that Peter did, where God, when Jesus is saying to Peter, you come follow me this way, and then Peter goes, wait, am I the only one that's going to suffer? Am I the only one that's going to have to do this? What about John there that you say you love him and he's the beloved? What about John? Is he going to do it? And remember Jesus' words that he gave to Peter at that time? He says, that's John's life. You just focus on what I'm calling you to do. Let John focus on what he's called to do, but you focus on you. In the same way in us following Jesus Christ, don't worry about what people around you are doing. You can start without pointing a finger and thinking, they're not doing it or uh, they're not doing what I'm expecting. Everyone is different. And God calls each one of us differently. We just need to start where we are at. So let's end this. What's the takeaway? Well, we've been praying over Lent that God helps us with our battles. And sometimes one of the things that God equips us with is learning how to repent or let go and then producing fruit in keeping with repentance. So we have Good Friday and Easter Sunday that are coming. And I want us to think about two things as those two important days come up. For Good Friday, as Good Friday approaches, think about it in your life in this way what do i need to repent of or what do i need to let go of what is it in my hand that i refuse to let go of what is that one thing and think about that as good friday approaches because we're going to give you a chance on good friday to write that down and to surrender that in the number two easter sunday what is one thing i've been saying yes to but never getting around to doing So it's not just repentance or letting go. We need to start saying yes to what the Holy Spirit has been putting in our hearts. So what is the one thing I've been saying yes to? As God's Spirit said to me, do this and you can, yeah, 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 I know. But we keep putting it off. We keep putting it off. What is that one thing in our faith life and also in your physical life? Because those two things go together. In your physical life, what needs to change in your habits? In your faith life, your spiritual life, what needs to change? What do you need to start saying yes to? So remember, let's keep this simple, practical, and accountable so that we can begin to see this answer when we say Jesus is Lord, it makes a difference in our life. Father, thank you so much that you planted our life purposing it to be fruitful, to be a blessing. Thank you that you planted our life and you protect it and you watch over it even when we are unaware, even at times when we walk away. Thank you, Father, for this great love that you have for us. May we learn how to repent, And to follow you, even if we're reluctant, to just trust you enough, to respect you enough, because you are Lord, we take a step towards obedience. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever. Amen.